Alright everybody, welcome back to Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. I'm your host, Jordan Prince. Oh ho ho, what a saucy voice we have today. Um, This is the 12 Songs for 12 Friends breakdown, essentially. Last week's episode was the first part. We got through the first five tracks or so. And yeah, for me, this is is really fun. Um, And I got some really kind, sweet messages from some friends last week who made sure to let me know that this isn't <laughs> like a self-indulgent thing to do, but actually just interesting. Uh, I feel that way too now that it's just interesting to go through these things and sort of understand the the, the purpose behind them, understand the, the meaning behind these songs. Um, and the reason for those who maybe didn't hear that first part, just to um, reiterate a small um, the, the reason why I'm breaking this album down now, sort of, excuse me, sort of randomly, is that um, the uh, there, there's an update with this album, uh, and I'll just make this very brief because um, there's not a very large listener base for this podcast, but um, the those who are with me usually listen every week, so I don't want to repeat too much. But basically, um, now I can confirm that I'm I'm waiting on a on a written agreement, the first draft of a written agreement from this record label. Uh, there's a guy named Magnus, Ma- Magnus, Magnus, um, sounds like a ice cream company or like a condom company and, um, ice cream condoms. And he basically works for, he owns this Swedish record label, uh, called Dumont, Dumont, uh, du- I don't know if it's Dumont, Dumont or like Dumont, Dumont, but, um, he was the owner of, of like a joint record label company between Dumont, Dumont and Imperial Recordings, and Imperial is the record label of Jose Gonzalez. And without getting too much into the backstory about all of that stuff with Jose, basically, this guy over time has finally um, spent some time with this album with 12 Songs for 12 Friends and has decided that he would like to, um, now we've come to the agreement of him renting half of the rights of this album for an extended period of time. We're going to make a pretty big contract together of how much time he spends. It'll be many, many years of him owning half of this record. Uh, but with the with the intention being that he will try to breathe new life into it. Um, so yeah, this basically means this album came out in 1922, four years ago, and now there's a record label interested in distributing it and putting some money into the marketing behind it, which is kind of funny. It's like, you know, so um, ironic uh, how it happens. You never know how it's going to happen. You never know how it's going to happen. And maybe from this, nothing happens. Maybe it's still like, maybe I shouldn't be saying, oh, you never know how it's going to happen because now the album is four years later and now someone's interested. It could be that nothing happens. That's why we're making this written agreement because if, if in a few years from now, if we see that nothing changed, like nothing, then I want my rights back, of course. That's all that, that's my bread and butter. You know, that's my, uh, everything is like owning the album completely. That was the only thing I was really, well, not the only thing, but that was like business-wise, that was my most proud thing was that I made sure that I owned every bit of this. Um, and so, yeah, I'm giving up 50% of it, which is a lot for me. 
Um, but it's fair in the end because of the deal that we're making. He sent finally a huge, a few days ago, sent this huge email uh, with his plan, uh, with uh, you know what kind of money he intends to invest into the marketing, what he wants to do with trying to get things playlisted. We're going to record some new live versions, modern versions of these older songs to try and, you know, replaylist them, try and bring um, w- what small amount of fans there are that I have back to this album, um, trying to reinvigorate it, reignite it, and then hopefully play some shows next year and bring bring some concerts, uh, bring attention to these songs through concerts again. Maybe I can even do like a special, specific, like, you know, next year will be five years. I could do like the five-year anniversary of the album and like, make a really special thing. And um, and now, you know, now after all these years, I've built a, a following through social media, not necessarily on Facebook or Instagram so much, but on TikTok, I've built a significant following with something totally unrelated, you know, like just making fun of where I live. <laughs> Which, um, there's a funny TikTok sound that's a guy be like looking at something that he's doing in the mirror. He's like, oh, wow. And then he makes a decision where he says, I guess that's going to be my personality for the rest of my life. (laughs) Uh, And that's kind of what I've done with TikTok. It's like, oh, I made a video about Germany and it did really well. I guess that's my personality for the rest of my life. Um, And since I have that following, um, now I can apply the music to that um, new potential listener base. So uh, there's more potential there as well, because in the last, um, well, most of my life, I never had like a huge following anywhere. Um, but now that there's a better one on TikTok than I've ever had before, um, maybe that means also it's easier to attract new listeners organically through that. So long story short, I don't know why I brought that up, but long story short, I'm talking about this album because a label is about to redistribute it and uh, it's going to have a second chance to uh, maybe get some attention. So anyway, last week... We talked about um, the intro with George uh, introducing the album uh, and this inside joke about putting it in the show. Then we started off with Stars, which is about Matt Martinez, my, my friend who's a really talented actor, a great dad, a um, great husband. His wife, Jenna, by the way, just released a brand new uh, EP, I believe. Let me see what it's called here. I want to make sure I give her a shout out. Jenna Mix Swain. Swain, Swain, Swain. For some reason, it's not coming up. That's weird. I just had everything pulled up that I needed. That sucks. Um, I'll pull it up in a little bit. Let me go back. Oh, no. Wait, is it because I don't have any service? Is it because I don't have any service on my phone? I'm using a hotspot because I'm in my office in Munich and we don't have any Wi-Fi here, which is like the best, you know? That's like how cool. Um, Genomix, whoa, 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 Wayne, is it going to pull up? No? Okay. Can I at least get, can I at least get my album? Can I at least get my album on here? Can I at least listen to 12 songs for 12 friends today? I'm doing a show about it. Um... I think I can pull that up. Okay. And you're wondering to yourself, is he going to, why didn't he cut this? Why didn't he edit this out? Well, you know, I keep it real. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fabricate what it's like uh, in the moment. Jenna Mix Wayne, there it is. Okay, I got my internet back. So she just released an EP called "Enjoy Your Space." It's got five songs. Um, I think my favorite one on there is called "Enjoy Your Space." I'm pretty sure that's the one. Um, it's a very fun, light pop, jazz sort of R&B. EP. And I just wanted to promote her a little bit. So we talked about Stars, which was Matt, uh, My Little Bear, which is about George James. It's about James Greer. We had this old band together called Titanium Caterpillars, which was pretty raunchy. Uh, then we got into Tame Impala Nights, which was about my friend Matt Bigelow, uh, the bassist in this band, Big Lemois. If you've never heard Big Lemois, this band I had in New Orleans, we do have a uh, we do have a, a recording out on all streaming platforms. Um, they they released some things after I left the band when they had a replacement guitarist. But the very first one, just Big Lemois from 2015, I think, the artwork is like a tree growing out of a man's chest. <laughs> um, that's the one I'm on. And I, I wrote two songs for that EP, and I play and sing on all of them. So you can also check that out. Uh, so we are here today on track number six, High's Cool, which what a track to start off everything with today because um, this one's pretty heavy. Although This one's just layered. It's got a lot of things going on. Um, let's take a little, let's see, I have to go, now I have to go back. Where was I? Now I got Jenna pulled up here. Okay, here, let's see where I was here. Uh, that's just the intro there. So funny. Okay. So fun fact about this song, this was the, this was the last one that I wrote to complete the album. I was a little stressed about finishing it. I knew I wanted to do one about my friend Shannon. This is about my friend Shannon Little from, from high school. Um, you can hear her voice on cruise street where she talks about how we would, um, she's really, impressed with like how, how far we've both come at being from Corinth. And like, she talks about, um, how we used to sit in our Spanish class all the time. And we would like share, um, Apple headphones and listen to music all the time. Anyway. Um, but high is cool. Um, yeah, of course, double entendre there. Uh, not very subtle, <laughs> not very poetic or anything. Um, high school, yes, high school, and then high's cool because um, at that point, um, yeah, there were a lot of um, drugs going around town, and there was a lot of reasons, I think, for, for us to numb ourselves from, from what was going on because the, the main subject of the song is about this, um, this double uh, suicide from um, a couple of friends of ours in my hometown, and I'm going to get to that. Uh, when we get to it later in the song. But so here, here's the general straight up text of the song. And the very first line is literally a, a, um, a reference. I almost wanted to say a, a relevance. It's literally a reference to the fact that this was the last song that I needed to write for the album. So it says, maybe the last, surely not the least, I hope you know. So it's literally like, this was the last song I wrote, but I hope you know it's not because I was like least important. Uh, oh, we got, this is also one of those strange songs that nothing rhymes. 
I don't know if anyone notices that, but there is no rhyme scheme in this album. Nothing rhymes at all. Um, and I don't know how I ended up making that work, but it's something about the guitar work and the, and the melody of the verse. There's no um, pattern like at all. So it says, maybe the last, surely not the least, I hope you know. Oh, we got out of that, oh, we got out of the town when we both were young, drawn to the South. Because uh, after high school, um, we both moved, I eventually moved to New Orleans right after senior year, and she, I think a couple years later, moved to Baton Rouge, which is kind of cool, like moving to the same state. Uh, and on the day before Halloween, I call you to say, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Um, so this is also, this is true. Her birthday is October 30th. So coming up pretty soon. Uh, and I always, what I wanted to do in high school is I wanted to be the first one to tell her happy birthday. This, I mean, it wasn't every year, but like, it was like a couple years where we were super tight and on October, it was like the October 29th and it would be like 1159 at night, which is funny now thinking about being a high schooler and being up until midnight. That's so funny. Cause you have to get up so early. And now as, as an adult, I think to myself like, oh my God, if I have to get up at seven, like I'm never going to go to bed at midnight. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I sound so old. Uh, I would try and stay up right until the, the, the ding of midnight and, like, ping, and then I have a text. I had like a Motorola razor or some sort of old flip phone and I would uh, tap out the message like, happy birthday, Shannon. And it was like, ding, midnight, send. And it would go right to her. And then one time I sent her that message, like immediately she called me and she's like, you're crazy. You're the first one. Like immediately. I think I did that for like two or three years in a row or something. And it was kind of our, like just a sweet thing of like, I remember, I know. Um, so on the day before Halloween, I called to say to you, happy birthday. So super straightforward there. And then the next verse uh, references a lot of different things in a very short amount of time. Like in the first verse, it's just, this is the last song, but it's not the least important. I hope you know that. Um, we both got out of Corinth and when we were young, we, we were drawn to the South, you know, for different reasons. Uh, and on the day before Halloween, I called to say to you, happy birthday. So really straightforward, really clean, not a lot of depth in that, just really straight on the nose. But the next verse references so much heavy stuff in, in a really short amount of time. So um, this starts off with, oh, somehow you kept your cool when it wasn't easy to be there. I always found Shannon to be an extremely cool person. Um, I can't say now that I think every action that she chose to perform as a high schooler was a cool action. Like, I don't think she made always perfect choices. I don't mean that, but just in general, when you think about someone being a cool person, they're just confident in themselves. And you know, I found Shannon extremely attractive. You know, she was like a good looking girl. She was really funny. She has this way of laughing where like she opens her mouth and one of her eyelids closes and she's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> um, and you know, she was just like, just chill. She was just really chill. So um, she somehow kept her cool when it wasn't easy to be there. And when I meet, what I mean is it wasn't easy to be, um, in our hometown at the time of, of these deaths. Um, she was particularly close to the two boys, Alex and Tyler. And, uh, I say that later in the song, like I knew them, but not as good as you. Uh, I believe she dated both for a short period of time. I know that a couple of friends listening uh, will be able to tell me if that's true or not, and I can correct it in the next episode. But um, yeah, 
these two friends in our hometown, they died tragically, uh, suicides, very young. Um, I believe Tyler was, uh, let's see, they felt, Tyler and Alex both felt so old to me, even though probably they were just a couple of years older than me. I think I was, let's see, I was 16 or 17, which would have made them probably 19, I think, 18 or 19, yeah. Um, I was working at the furniture store warehouse with Cody. Uh, the day that they died, I got a voicemail. I missed a call from Alex. Um, not, and it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Alex had called me to see if I wanted, or if I knew anybody who wanted to buy, um, I think it was like antidepressants or something from him. And I just missed it and then actually dismissed it because I wasn't interested and I didn't call him back about it. I just, I don't know. I think I texted him like, nah, I'm everything, I'm good or whatever. Um, but I don't know what happened with that. And Tyler, I don't remember the last time that I, I don't remember the last time that I spoke with him, but I remember one of the last conversations we had was I finally started to feel, because I always had him and Alex on this crazy pedestal along with our friend Thomas Sweat, who now I, I'm pretty sure Cody and Todd are listening to this episode. Um, I always had Thomas on this huge pedestal when I was young. And now it's so funny as you get older, you start to see people as they change, as they develop, as they grow older, and your perception of them changes also in accordance to how you're getting older and how you change. And I don't know. I mean... I don't see Thomas the same way I did in high school. Um, but I also don't want to say any, like, I don't want to say anything negative. Um, like how I really feel about any, anybody from high school and stuff is, is all relevant to how I'm feeling at the time and also who I'm talking to. Um, but you know, I don't think Thomas is like some extremely cool person that I want to look up to anymore. And why would we? We're more similar than, uh, we're just both normal guys. And when you're in high school and someone's cool, like Thomas was very cool and he was good looking and he was funny and he had, you know, he had pot and <laughs> his dad never cared that he always had friends over. So it was just like one of those things. He was in a band and all his friends were cool and the parties were cool. And I don't know, it was just one of those things. And um, so Thomas and... Uh, Alex and Tyler were all part of the same group of people that, you know, Cody and I were really drawn to and tried to like, tried to hang out with these people a lot. And um, yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the last conversations I had with Tyler was I finally felt that he saw me. Because um, when you hang out with the cool kids, you're always extra nervous and like over jokey, and you're never really sure if they really like you. Um, but you hope that they just keep inviting you to stuff or I, that's how I felt about it at least. And Tyler eventually like came over to my house and like came up to my, uh, I had turned my old bedroom into like a music room. I had like a strobe light and this like cheap keyboard and acoustic guitar up there with a sofa. And he was like, Oh, we should like start a band. You know, we had this idea to call it stoop kids because we always hung out at Thomas Sweat's house, like on his, uh, like out in front of his house a lot. Um, which is funny because later I moved to New Orleans and there was a band of people that I knew. They called themselves Stoop Kids and they got really successful. So I always thought like, oh, they stole the name. But 
Um, I don't remember who else. I don't know if Cody was a part of Stoop Kids too, but that was like one of the last things. We're like, oh, we should do that. Of course, it never happened. Um, and then that other phone call was the last conversation I had with Alex. But there was a lot of complicated things going on in in Corinth with these guys at that time. Like, you know, of course, there was a lot of people abusing different things. Um, we were all, you know, middle to older sort of teenagers. There's this reality of like growing up, slapping you in the face. Some people are moving out of their parents' houses. Um, relationship drama is getting complicated. Um, like in the next part of this line, I talk about, um, I'll say, so, uh, somehow you kept your cool when it wasn't easy to be there. Just, she, I always still found her as like a rock and to be a cool person when, after these suicides, it was very difficult to be uh, cool and relaxed in that town as a teenager. Uh, and she says, but, and then I say, but now you look me so much less in the eyes than in the past. This is literally describing the um, kind of like substance abuse that I felt that Shannon was taking part in at the time. Um, but it's also referencing that we don't live close to each other at all anymore. And um, I'm not going to go into any details about Shannon's life in that side because um, I don't want to like say anything that she did wasn't right or wrong at the time because when you're someone who's young and troubled and suffering and dealing with a loss, I think you do whatever you can to feel um, good or, or numb to it. Or I don't think Shannon had the be- the world's best home life either. I don't think she had like the most responsible um, parent situation. And that probably also played a role in how she self-soothed. So, um, but yeah. And then the last line of this second verse is, what the hell were we thinking spending time with that Cather girl? Only in high school, only in high school. Um, So that one's a little bit funny, but also connected to all of this stuff, like with Tyler and Alex. During the time, a little before and a little after uh, these suicides, uh, Brittany Cather was the older sister to a really sweet, genuine, wholesome, pretty girl in my high school named Sydney Cather. Sydney Cather I had a crush on for years, but she was always extremely out of my league, um, just like a different species uh, in my mind, you know. Very pretty, very funny, very wholesome. Um, and somehow around this era, I started, which is ironic that Sydney Cather ended up date, uh, dating and then marrying and then having a child with someone who I'm like somehow related to. It's a prince in Mississippi who I've never met, but somehow I don't know how it's connected, but she still ended up marrying someone in my family. So um, uh, someone in the end, uh, someone, someone, one of the princes got her in the end. So, um, but Brittany Cather, the older sister, was part of this crew of these like older people at these parties that, you know, uh, Cody and I were hanging out at a lot. And I don't remember how things started with Brittany Cather. She was a very close friend of, of Shannon's and probably that was how it started. I think there was a little time where Cody and Shannon were dating. Um, and I'm sure I was jealous of that. And um, uh, Brittany was always hanging. So it was always the four of us. And I don't know if Brittany just also was a little bit like, felt like a third wheel when Shannon and Cody would be flirty. So maybe then she looked to me to be someone she could feel flirted with too. I I don't know. It's really a long time ago, but I also maybe felt that way. Like, oh, well, Brittany is a pretty girl. 
she she is. I mean, she was at the time for sure. And so maybe I felt also like, oh, well, she's very nice to me. Maybe this is like an option um, since everything is so complicated now um, in terms of like we were friends and then now someone's dating and like, oh, well, maybe maybe Brittany's like an option for me. Um, so I don't know how that started, but Brittany and I eventually started hanging out alone uh, a lot more. And that was such a weird, messy, complicated, constantly dramatic um unreliable, inconsistent relationship that we had. Um, she was very skinny. Um, she was pretty. And I thought she was funny. She had this sort of like tongue-in-cheek sarcasm. That, uh, I, I thought I liked it. And I remember after Tyler and Alex's death uh, deaths, Thomas had a, like a bonfire at one at his backyard or friends of his backyard. And it was this huge group of people in, a, in sitting on these benches, all seat, seated around this bonfire. And a lot of people were just crying. A lot of people were just silently staring into the fire. Uh, a lot of people dealing with pretty heavy emotions for teenagers. And Brittany was sitting on the bench and she rested her head on my shoulder. And that's kind of where I remember either things were more a little more certain to me that there was like a connection or that's kind of where things started somewhere around there maybe and um specifically regarding that night i remember sitting at that bonfire with britney cather's head on my shoulder some people crying some people just like drinking beer smoking cigarettes just staring in the fire feeling very somber and thomas sweat went to his uh, boom box in the corner and put a cd on and he played gideon by my morning jacket if you've never heard that song, it's very, very powerful. And that ended up being the inspiration for when I finally saved up and bought my first like really nice electric guitar, uh, this white hollow body jazz guitar that I still have. I named it Gideon after, um, after that evening, after that moment, because it was such a powerful teenager moment, like maybe the most powerful, maybe one of the most powerful teenage moments that I've had. And I've had a lot, like I had a near death experience, um, had two near death. There's a lot of things that, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like such a calm, like, like such a calm, like innocent boy now compared to all the crap that I did in high school. And I didn't even do anything like cool. It wasn't like, Oh man, he like, you know, surfed the top of a car into oncoming traffic while blasting Led Zeppelin. It was like, no, I just tried to date girls and it just never went well. <laughs> it just never went right. It was never easy. Um, boy, oh boy. Uh, so yeah, Catherine and I, we hung out a lot and things really ended poorly with her. Like, um, she was very, uh, like towards the end of our, like, I don't know, little, I would, I don't even want to say like relationship because, you know, there was never, there was never, we never crossed the line. I know my mom's listening to this. So it's like, we never did it, you know? So I don't think like you can really say you're dating someone if you're not like christening that relationship with that sort of intimacy. Um, there was barely, there was barely anything at all even remotely connected to that aspect of social interaction. So how can you really call it a relationship? But we just relied on each other a lot. And I think she found me very easy to, I would always show up. I would always show up. So that's probably why she called me. Um, but yeah, her dad didn't like me too much. I get that. That's fine. And 
the last interaction that I had with Brittany Cather, and I, I know that this is kind of dragging on, but um, this post-suicides, we're at Thomas Sweat's house. I think it was a Saturday. I didn't have work. Um, we went, me and Brittany went over to Thomas's house. You know, substances were abused. There's a lot of people dealing with a lot of trauma. No one's talking uh, like about their feelings the way they should be. Things are taken. People are confused. Um, Thomas decides, hey, let's go, let's drive to Pickwick and go to um, my dad's lake house for the weekend. And I thought, oh, cool. Like, okay, I'll go there for a few hours and then just come back tonight. And like, never will have anyone been the wiser that I was not in Corinth at this house. Like, I'll just go 30 minutes there and then come back. Um, But I was not fit to drive and I should not have been behind the wheel. Um, And so this part is like 50% all my fault completely and then 50% Brittany's and you're going to see why. Uh, So she gets in the passenger seat of my car. Everyone's getting in their cars to go to Pickwick. I start backing out of Thomas's driveway and I stop the car and I panic and I say, I don't know where Thomas is. I'm supposed to follow him. You know, at this point, I didn't really have GPS on my phone yet. So I didn't know, I didn't have an address. I didn't know where to go. I wasn't comfortable driving to Pickwick yet. I'd never really done it before. You know, I wasn't someone who just randomly went to Pickwick as much as Thomas did. So I just didn't have it in my mind. So I was like, oh my God, I have to follow you. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I called him. I was panicking. He's like, dude, I'm behind you. I'm still on the road. I've, I've backed out to let you back out. Like I'm, I'm right here. It's been like two minutes. I was like, oh my God. All right. Uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry. And then I saw him and then I backed out and then he pulled out in front of me and then I was driving. And I, I mean, I was going, I don't know, like one mile an hour down this road. Like I was just barely getting down this road and all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, I'm going to assume that we hit a mailbox. Maybe it was a very firmly planted, concreted mailbox. Uh, Something hit, I don't don't even know how many people know this story, actually. I know that my parents um, had to suffer this with me, but I don't remember if I really told everybody this story before. Um. So I hit something going very slow. So I'm really surprised with the impact, but something hit the passenger side mirror so hard that it turned and rotated and slammed into the passenger window with so much pressure that it shattered the win- the glass in this window and like all this sprinkled little tiny crust of glass fell over Brittany's legs. She was a cheerleader at the time. She was wearing short shorts and her legs were put up on the dashboard. So these little like little things of glass came and like nicked her legs. And I'm not saying that it wasn't traumatic for her. I'm not saying it wasn't bad for her. But um, thankfully, very, very, very forgettable damage like is okay. But I was panicking. I, I stopped the car immediately. Um, I asked her if she was okay. We got out of the car for a second. Um... And I was just like, I'm, I'm screwed. Like, I can't go to Pickwick for the day with my car like this. What am I going to do? Um, my parents are going to kill me. Uh, you know, I had already been in trouble. I, I believe this was after I had already been, like, arrested for, for like, stupid stuff in town. I mean, that's a whole different, like, podcast, these other arrests. But, um, you know, I had 
I, I had a reputation that I did not want to have as being like a troublemaker. I, I really was like, I didn't want that reputation. I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't think it was cool to be a troublemaker. That's not my life. That was not my path. Like, I, of course, eventually I, I was able to make fun of myself for getting in, into these arrests. And, and, and I'm thankful to have learned my lesson. And they are very funny, interesting, good stories. And I'm happy that I can be a storyteller. But trust me, at the time, this was not something I was ever proud of or like enjoyed doing. That was not who I wanted to be at all. And I remember uh, the glass shattered. We got out and Brittany, she says, oh, well, I'm going to go to the lake house. And I was there like, oh, no. Okay. All right. Because I thought, oh, maybe you'd come with me and then we could both like tell the story together. And maybe it'd be a little bit more of like, oh, my goodness. And then you would hang out with me today since I can't go. But okay, you go with Thomas and his, you know, inebriated older, um, you know, friends who I don't trust to not hit on you, but okay, cool. Great. Yeah. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Fine. Cool. So she goes off into one of the cars with one of the guys and she's off. Right now, my story fades out from here. I basically go to, uh, um, I drive the car to, um, one of those public like coin payment vacuum services. I suck all the glass out. Um, I try to clean it as much as I can. I'm driving home thinking of a story. My heart's racing. I'm panicking. Obviously, I, I feel like an idiot. I get home. My parents are chilling. It's a Saturday. My parents are watching TV. My dad's probably doing some something, some grass work outside. I don't know. And I say, hey, guys, come on. My car had an accident. You won't believe this. And I'm sure they're just like, oh, my God, please stop having car accidents. Like, please stop having car accidents, Jordan. Please, for the love of God. Um, they come outside. I tell them some story. Hey, I was at a restaurant, and this car backed out. And I think he scratched the side of the passenger, and I think he must have hit the window here. And I here I am thinking, this sounds pretty good. Like, I think this sounds like a pretty good story. Um, and from what I learned later, I think my mom was convinced too. But for some reason, somehow, my dad saw right through me. I don't know what it... I mean, I was, I was not sober, so probably... Probably my mom was so innocent in her heart that she just looked past anything like that. Maybe just thought I was like in shock or like panicked or something. So it could have been that she just didn't notice it. But my dad was so suspicious and, you know, he had every right to be. I had been in trouble so much by that time that I probably wouldn't have trusted my first story either. But I don't know. Maybe he's just a great like automotive investigator because he just like ran his finger along the scratch and then crossed his arms and then just goes like, son, tell me what really happened. And I was like, whoa, whoa, busted. Uh, just red lights going off. Uh, you know, I really, poof, um, I freaked out. And I just, I didn't even try. I wasn't even like, dad, you're acting crazy. Why don't you listen to me? <laughs> I was like, well, um, I was backing out of a driveway. And I told him, I said, I hit something. And of course, that's mortifying I hit something enough to smash the window. I didn't know what it was. So my parents are like, oh my God, maybe he hit a child. Maybe he hit someone's car. Maybe there, you know, maybe, maybe there's the police, you know, who knows? So then it's a really, then the rest of the day, I mean, I'm telling you, it was so bad for me. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking for pity. I, I really screwed up. So, you know, me having a bad rest of the day is totally, um, um, what do you call it? I, I deserved it. Um, I'm losing so many great English words, I swear to God. Anyway, my dad drove me in his truck back to the location. I was falling asleep in the passenger seat. It did not look good for me. Um, we got there, nothing. There is no body outside. There is no knocked over mailbox. 
There is no smashed bumper. There is no police car. There's nothing, nobody, nowhere, nothing. There is no evidence that anything was touched by another car. I still don't understand what happened to that day. Maybe it was, maybe it was God. Maybe it was God um, just putting his foot down in the street so I smash into something. Like maybe, an, you know, I don't speak in these terms often, but maybe it could have been a religious intervention to keep me from dying or murdering Brittany Cather on the highway that day. It's very likely. Um, or it could have, you know, it could have been divine intervention. It could have been literally anything. I have no idea, but there was no proof of anything being hit and I smashed something hard enough to break my window. So I don't know. It must've been some extremely reinforced mailbox at least. Um, so the part where it's Brittany's fault <laughs> comes into, uh, let's rewind this. So she gets out of my car. She gets into the car with some of Thomas and his friends, goes to the lake house. She's also not sober by far. Um, no judgments there, but she wasn't. And they have to hike up this hill from the parking spot to get to the lake house. This is how the story goes. She got to the top or near the top uh, and she slipped and she tumbled inebriated, tumbled down this hill, boom, 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 boom. And she really screwed her legs up. She, she bruised them. She had a gash. I think she had to go to the hospital. Maybe I know that she didn't do well. And it was really, 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 really tragic. It looked very bad. Um, she was a skinny girl with long legs and it looks like someone took a baseball bat to them basically. Well, a day later, uh, I'm back at work. I'm in trouble with my parents. We have like I think I took my mom's car to work or something so they can get the window replaced in mine. It was a whole thing. I'm at work. I'm feeling somber. I'm feeling scared and trouble. I'm just trying to keep my head down and do my work. I get a phone call from Brittany Cather's dad. And he's like, hey, Brittany told me that you had a car accident yesterday and you smashed the glass and it shattered her legs. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, hold on a second. I, and I really, I'm surprised that I even stood my ground on this, but I also didn't really like him. And he also wasn't a reliable narrator because he also kind of like had some substance abuse issues. But I was like, hey man, look, Brittany is definitely lying. And I, I was super clear about this. Like Mr. Cather, he knew me and my family from church. So I don't have a reason to lie to this guy. But I was like, Mr. Cather, I promise you, Brittany is lying to you. yes. I hit a mailbox with my with my windshield, but her legs were barely nicked by this accident. I immediately went home. I dealt with this with my parents. She went on to a party in Pickwick uh, where I heard that she took a tumble down the hill and beat up her legs there. Uh, sounds like she didn't want you to know that she went to that party, but Mr. Cather, you know, like I promise you, this was not my fault. Like I will not back down from this. I know this wasn't me. And he was, uh, he actually took a minute and was like, okay, all right, all right. Because, I mean, she was also wasn't like a super... If, if Sydney Cather had told him that I did it, I'd be in jail. <laughs> like, she would be telling the truth. But Brittany, not so much. Anyway, after all that, Brittany was a mess. We didn't talk anymore. I really had a problem with her. She had lied and tried to, like, get me in trouble with her dad because she didn't want to be in trouble and, like tried to take me down. And then she was like dating other guys and hooking up with people like in, in front of me at these parties. And it was never spoken about. And we just didn't like each other. And it was like just over to be, to, to really wrap that story up with her. And I know this has gone on forever and I'm sorry. Um, she 
years later, I had moved to New Orleans and I was starting, I was going to university. I was going to college and I was thinking about changing my major out of film into, I think, sociology with a Spanish minor. Isn't that crazy? And I really thought, oh, I want to, I think I want to be a teacher. I think I want to teach sociology and I want to, uh, like maybe even teach Spanish. I got really into Spanish in, in college. Um, and I, I was like just a few, I was actually just a few courses away from having a minor. I really should have pursued that. But anyway, um, now it's all gone. Now it's all Deutsch. Yeah, ich muss Deutsch lernen. Yeah, wir sind in Deutschland. Yeah, du musst Deutsch reden. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, and we spoke. We reconnected over like Facebook Messenger. We were very nice to each other. We spoke on the phone a few times, rekindled sort of a, like a, a, a not, nothing romantic, but just sort of like a, a camaraderie. Just like we went through some crap. You did some bad stuff. I did some bad stuff. Hey, isn't that crazy? We're all good. So everything ended nicely. If I saw her today, I'd give her a hug and ask her how she's doing. Um, so that, all of that, guys, all of that is summed up into somehow you kept your cool when it wasn't easy to be there but now you look me so much less in the eyes than in the past. Oh, what the hell were we thinking spending time with that Cather girl only in high school, only in high school. So yeah, really hard sometimes to tell a story in songs uh, if you don't have much space to do it. So then we've got the last bit of the song. Um, so at this point, after the second chorus, the instrumentation changes. It, go, it changes from this sort of Paul Simony. Um, Paul McCartney-ish, Sufjan Stevens-ish sort of guitar progression, which was like the most complicated thing I've ever written. I don't, I, I really don't know how that came to be or how I ended up uh, finishing that piece. Um, but it's still very difficult to play that first half. Um, so I, if I have a show coming where I want to play it, I practice it so much. Um, but for some reason there, I don't know how or why I decided, but the song, the, the song changes into this blues um, this, uh, sort of like, yeah, dark, sort of like minor blues, um, progression that stays in the key of G and just rides out from, for most of it until the very end. Uh, so this song has a, a lot of changes actually it has the first section. It has the blues change. The band comes in. It has the, the small little mini choruses where I mentioned the boys names. And then the very end has this big dramatic sort of slashing, of the chords, um, it's really, yeah, I, now that I think about it, it has a lot of changes. Very unorthodox song, uh, for me especially. So, the last part is, uh, you never knew how I totaled my car in the morning all because of you. Um, that line is like, it's so crazy. That was, you know, jealousy. I think that was before I dated Brittany. Uh, I was jealous that um, Cody and Shannon were starting to flirt uh, we hung out, the three of us, one night, all night. Uh, complete, And I remember, like, I always tell that story because we were completely sober. Just the, th I don't know, I mean, I was, but I'm pretty sure we all were. Just like the three of us hanging out in Corinth at the city park, walking the railroad tracks, hanging out at the gazebo near the downtown, just talking and talking and talking. Just stuff, like, just the energy you have as a teenager is unbelievable, especially when you're a jealous, chubby third wheeler. <laughs> and I just didn't want them to hook up because, uh, one, I was probably just straight up jealous because I thought Shannon was always, like, really pretty. 
Um, and part of me was like, oh, maybe she's like a dream girl for me. Maybe she's like a goal girl that I can uh, try to like win over someday. Uh, but also, you know, Cody is such a good looking guy. He is such an extremely good looking guy and super funny and super smart, wholesome, talented, uh, the whole package. So I knew I had no chance. Also, if he swoops in, I'm done. There's no chance. Um, and I also didn't want to ruin the dynamic of like, we're all friends. Does someone have to really incorporate sex into this? Like, can't we all just stay equal friends that all want to hang out all the time? I was very insecure. So there you go. I stayed up all night. The next morning I drove home, felt like I failed because I couldn't get them to separate without me being there. I was falling asleep in the car. So I left and I drove home and, um, a lot of people know this story already, but basically it was like six in the morning. It was a foggy, warm Sunday. I fell asleep driving, uh, because I was so tired and it was so calming. I was listening to Death Cab for Cutie, the album Plans, and I veered off the left, the left side of the road going about 55 miles an hour, I guess. And I woke up as my left front tire hit a culvert, uh, which is like a drainage ditch under a driveway, which is like a hitting a wall with your tire. And I, my car plummeted over and like soared <laughs> into the sky, smashing into a field and, and doing three full rotations. Um, if anyone knows... My new song from Simple Swimmer, the last song on that album, Daily Bread, I talk in a little bit more detail about that car accident um, and in and, and song form. So if you want to know more, you can also listen to that song. But yeah, basically, I, I crashed it, and it was because I tried to keep them from hooking up. So you never knew how I totaled my car in the morning all because of you. And then uh, the only part that rhymes is uh, I Knew Alex too. So I'm really, I'm smashing in at the end here. I'm smashing in different memories from different eras of our friendship. So I didn't crash my car because she was interested in Alex or that she was dating or hanging out with Alex. That was just connected. You know, like I, I associate Alex and Tyler with her. Also associate Cody and Todd and Top Shelf with her um, and Brittany. So we have a lot of things like stringing our relationship together, not necessarily back to back or at the same time. Um, and then uh, you never knew how much I wish that I'd been in his shoes, um, because she, um, had dated, uh, Cody and she had dated Alex and, uh, she never knew how much I wished that it had been me. Uh, and then I say, I knew Tyler too, but not as good as you because they also dated or hooked up. I don't remember. Um, and then that's the only thing in the whole song that rhymes is, uh, I said, I knew Tyler too, but not as good as you. I knew Tyler too, but not as good as you. Um, but also even if they didn't get romantic, they were just very close, uh, extremely close. So, uh, I knew that hit her really hard. I remember crying with Shannon at Tyler Knapp's funeral, uh, service. Yeah. Crazy. Um, how much time did I do on that? Oh my God, it's 46 minutes. Wow. Guys, I'm really sorry that I spent so much time on this one song. I was expecting that I would already get to both, uh, like already, where will we go from here and far too thin? I, think I may have to do a part three. I'm really sorry for stretching that out. Um, high School is just a loaded track, man. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's a really, It's a really loaded, heavy song that doesn't say half of what I just told you, but unbelievable, you know, that's so crazy. 46 minutes. Well, I guess I did like 30 on this. Yeah. I, 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 you know, when this album was coming out, I guess it was early 2018, I had the masters and I sent 
the songs to everybody who this who they were about. I was like, just to let you know, I have an album coming out, and I wrote a song about you, and I hope you like it. You know, this is um, this is what it sounds like. And um, I was always a little worried that Shannon wouldn't like her song, not not for any lyrical. Re- I mean, who wouldn't like a, a flattering song written about them? You know, in the end, like, I, 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 there's very few people on these songs that I say anything kind of, like, real about them. Like, not insulting, but just, like, not flattering. Shannon's song is more of reflection on the things that bind us and less about, like, you're great. There's a lot of songs that are just, like, you're great, which is also good. But um, I, not lyrically. What I mean is I, I wasn't sure if, he, if she would like the song musically um, because it's also one of the more traditional songwriting styles of this out. Like this album is very pure and clean with its genres. Um, That's why Simple Swimmer, I think is so different. Like when, when we did this album, I'm really happy with it. But at the time, I think I was almost feeling subdued by its restrictive genres. Meaning high school is like folk blues, you know, and that that really wasn't my initial plan to make like alternative Americana, like pure folk or pure blues or whatever. And um, Shannon and I, Shannon and I, always bonded over um, Radiohead. So here I am making a song for her, and musically, it's nothing like her. So it's all about the story, and I was worried that she wouldn't click with it the way that I intended but she did as far as i know she we talked about the lyrics a lot and uh i think everybody in the end probably enjoys their song even if it's not like melodically or musically their favorite style um although some songs on here i think do match but there is a like a touch more country on this album than i intended actually in the end like count on me came out pretty country uh high school is pretty country um like my brother sunset the last song is so um i don't know it's so different it's so um yeah like blues but also i don't know it's hard to describe it um uh james is a little country that's funny it's uh, i don't know anyway i i think uh, yeah i can i'll try to do two more i think i can just do one more here but i mean it's quite the song to 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 roll with here Um, most famous surprise. So this is absolutely, um, one of the, this is one of those songs that when I, when I wrote it and when I recorded it, I was still constantly very uncertain if this was a good song. Um, I play it a little differently now live just a few little things i do a little differently i I sing the chorus a little differently i sing parts of the verses a little differently just a little more life a little more variation that's normal you play something long enough you add a little flex here and there to keep it interesting for yourself or just things that you hear that are new and you're like oh that's kind of cool and you try it um so the recorded version is actually a little different and i also sing it like a half step down um, which is also normal when you get older, you start singing a little deeper. I think that's good for me, singing a little deeper. I can sing with a bit more strength, a bit more control. I always needed to sing as high as I possibly could, which 
really, if I listen to things like the deer jump, makes me want to blow my brains out. Like I just can't stand how like whiny and mousy my voice is. Anyway, so most famous surprise is of course about Efi. Uh, and for those who have had the pleasure of meeting her, you know, our story is really special in, in the sense that like, you know, not everybody, you know, meets somebody from a foreign country at school studying the same topic, this artsy, ooh, film. Oh, you know, she's really into like Vim Vendors or like whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, or like Amadavar, wow. And like you watch movies together and like you're watching mo- a lot more movies with subtitles now. And like, ooh, European art culture. Oh, wow. And like, oh, she's into, you know, the, uh, what was it, the kills and like, uh, oh no, the XX. <laughs> And just all this stuff that you're like, ooh, that's so like, ooh, cool. Like, ooh, 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 cool. Joy Division. Oh. Um, and, so, you know, meeting at school and like really clicking. And, we, you know, we both had, um, we both had partners. I was dating this girl, Leanna, who was like, you know, we had told each other we love each other. We were like seriously together. Um, you know, I think she thought I was going to be the one. We were super, 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 super close. We were like good friends too. She was super funny. Um, I actually have nothing negative to say about Leanna at all. I really screwed her. I mean, I really like, I broke her heart, um, to leave her for Efi. And it was really, that was a tough time. Uh, it was really harsh. Like, uh, I felt like I just really ruined a good friendship. We ended up kind of like making things nice over time, but, um, anyway, that's not important. Uh, I was with Leanna. She was with a guy who I found extremely attractive and like, uh, again, insecurity, insecurity yeah yeah my living virus is insecurity and i still live with it a lot constantly to this day body image issues at the wahoo that's mostly 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 it um and of course imposter syndrome but uh this guy alex super good looking guy you know just like the like this thick uh sort of like super bad, no, what's the, oh, like super bad, like thick Jonah Hill era hair, like the super thick curly hair, um, you know, had a baby face, like super perfect skin. He was thin. He was like artsy. He had a cool way of dressing. He was also in film. He was like a first AC and I was like, oh yeah, pull focus. Like blah, blah, blah. And, um, and he was also kind of a dick, which made him even more good looking. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but she had a boyfriend. I had a girlfriend. He was a boy, she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? And yeah, you know, we we we're, we we hung out so much. She she um we met in this uh, screenwriting class together, um, which also had Leanna in the class. And um, you know, we were hanging out on the balcony of the classroom one day to get some fresh air during the break. Because these classes, you know, they're like 90 minutes or two hours and you get like a 10 or 15 minute break in the middle to go use the bathroom or get a snack or something. So I would stand on the balcony and smoke cigarettes, you know, and she came out one day and was like, hey, you know, because I was trying to be the funniest person in the class. Me and my friend Danny, Danny actually is the funniest person in any room. He might be one of the funniest human beings that I've ever met. It's ridiculous. Such a natural talent for this guy. But um, I tried to be the funniest guy in the class. And she came out one day and was like, oh, you know, I think you're really funny. 
um, I'm doing a, a short film for so-and-so's class. Do you want to be the actor in it? Would you be interested in that? And I was like, oh my God, you mean I get to spend time with you? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I signed up for it. And uh, of course, her boyfriend, Alex, was the DP. He was the cameraman. So uh, got nice and cozy with him too. Jen just tried to play everything very nice. I was like, she's not interested in you. She's just a foreign girl who's being very nice. She's very pretty, but just be cool. And uh, yeah, so a, a really good friendship blossomed out of that. And so I started hanging out with all of her friends. Um, she started hanging out with some of my friends. She started like blending in. All these worlds started blending together. And um, yeah, eventually we got to a point where it was like just very obvious there was something there. She was easing towards her last year. Uh, she's she's a few years older and she had studied abroad and she changed her major. But then she anyway, so she was going to graduate before me, a year before me. And it just came to be like, this is now or never. And I had to kind of, so we both really felt something, but then I got too nervous. And then, so I sort of like got closer with Leanna because I thought it isn't happening with Efi. And then that sort of broke Efi's heart. So then she was sort of like closer with Alex. And then we sort of have a, then it was just like, so all this unspoken sort of tension of like, is this for real? Like I felt so very much in my insecure mind that this person was so absolutely could not be interested in me because of, um, all the shit that I hate about me, there's no way that she likes me, that I just was allowing myself to like not become closer with her in that way. Wrote so many songs about her, played them to her face, you know. We had lunches where we opened up about family trauma and inner, like the most I deepest inner workings of our emotional machinery. And it just, you know, it was obvious, but I just couldn't let myself believe it until eventually it was almost too late and um, I was like, I know I have to go up, go for this. I have to do it. And I'm so invested, I'm so interested and so invested in this person that I have to break up with Leanna because it's not fair to her. And I remember like the day I was going to break up with her, she had a car accident. She broke her arm. So I had to hold off like three more weeks just to, like I couldn't do it the same day. Uh, eventually broke up with her. It was horrible. It was the worst. She was so mad. Understandably, she screamed at me in the parking lot two nights in a row um, just, I mean, I, well, I just felt like a monster. Um, but yeah, then I finally told, oh, it's raining outside. Now it's nice and cozy in here. Um, but I finally like broke up with her and, um, I think she heard that or she just coincidentally also broke things off with Alex and they were hanging out at her house. And then we went for a walk. Uh, it was like a nice sunny day in New Orleans. We went and sat on the bayou, which is like our place. And, uh, that's when I told her like, um, yeah, I broke things off. She's like, oh yeah, I broke things off too. And it was like this lingering look of like, oh, well, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know. And um, then we went to a birthday party for our friend Jerron, who Efi was also interested in. And she thought to her, and this is true, she thought to herself, if Jordan's not going to make the move, uh, I'm going to try things with Jerron because Jerron's also, you know, he was a catch. He is a catch. He's super good looking, talented uh, uh, saxophone player. Or is it saxophone? Yeah, I think so. And, or clarinet, whatever. But super talented, crazy talented musician. And uh, she was going to try things with him. She like hung out with him alone once, like sort of a date, like a picnic sort of thing. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, it's now or never, damn it. And, uh, yeah, so we went to his birthday party, and then just sort of organically, we were hanging out next to each other, and I, I don't know how or when or how this happened, but we just ended up putting our arms around each other's waist, 
And that's when we knew that this was what we both wanted. And we just kind of looked in each other's eyes and it was just like this really real thing of like, oh my God, finally, like you do, you do want this too. Oh, what a relief, you know? Uh, and we went back to her place after the party and we talked finally very openly about all of this. Like, oh my God, I thought you weren't interested and that's why I was with her. And like, oh, that's why you did this. Okay. Oh my God. And um, yeah, everything started from there. We were dating, um, you know, she had sworn to herself. She was not going to like fall in love with anybody from America because she was going to only be there for a couple years. But, you know, then she met the old J-man. Uh, he says jokingly after revealing how absolutely insecure he always is, a bada bing. And yeah, then, the, you know, the rest is pretty much history. Like um, then, you know, I moved to Germany and uh, yeah, everything, everything, you know, everything worked out. So it's really, it's, it's a, just a pure, this song, Most Famous Surprise, is just a pure romantic song. It's like one of my only really pure, straightforward love songs. Um, and I'm really happy with the lyrics in this one. Um, I don't know where this first line came from. It just came to me. I, I'm, I, I, it must actually be a, a, like a properly like common use expression or idiom or something. Because there's no way that I made this up. It sounds too old, but... So anyways, it came to me, the first lyric is, they say that anything worth having is hard to keep. I don't know if that's, I don't know. It just came, but I'm, I, I'm, it felt right. Um, they say that anything worth having is hard to keep. If you look at our history, I'd say that's true for you and me. There's all this speculation of what love is supposed to be. It's not something you can read up on. You just know it when you see. You can't feel it coming, the most famous surprise. I went off when I looked in your eyes. I spent all my life wondering just what I'm supposed to be, and I'm always taking big, long steps when I don't know where they will lead. But I remember seeing you, and I knew right then something changed. All my dreams were now including you. It seemed my path had rearranged. You can't feel it coming, the most famous surprise. I went off when I looked in your eyes. You can't feel it coming, the most famous surprise. I'm not feeling right. Yeah. And it's pretty much just straightforward. Like, you know, anything worth having is hard to keep. We were long distance. We had broken up for a while. We got back together. It was a rough roller coaster for a while until, until I moved over here. So we had to really work at it. It was work and it is work. Um, not always, but any sort of committed relationship is work. Um, yeah. Trying to see if there's anything else that really pops out from these lyrics. But yeah, it was just about a journey of like growing up and like taking a relationship seriously. And yeah, just like the the music fact behind that, um, I was deeply inspired by Sufjan Stevens when I wrote that song. Progression-wise, the main verse guitar is really inspired by a, like um, a couple of his songs sort of mashed together. Um, I think I wrote it after Carrie and Lowell had come out. I think that came out in 2015. So I think I wrote this song after Carrie and Lowell, and there's something about um, songs like Eugene that just have this perfect way of sort of wrapping together in this nice, beautiful little way. Um, I'm actually quite sure this song was inspired a lot by Eugene. And then like the bridge and stuff, uh, you know, the way it transforms into the chorus and then this really bluesy bridge. I don't really understand 
how that stuff came to be. I don't remember how that came out, but I think I just tried a bunch of different things. I knew something had to change there, and then that just sort of... I was also really inspired by Elizabeth Cotton. So I think sort of blending what I could from Sufjan and Elizabeth Cotton, this sort of like just came out into what it is, which is just a really traditional sort of ballad. Um, let's see, where are we at on time? We're already over an hour, guys. I'm so sorry. I only got through two songs today. I hope it's not like that from now on. But if you like it, then maybe it will be like that from now on. Um, for everyone who listened, thank you so much for being here today. Please make sure to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get to this podcast. Give us a ra- rating, review, a comment, share it with a friend. Just tell a buddy word of mouth. It really helps a long, long, long way. It helps me so much. Anything you can do to grow this artsy fartsy family, I really appreciate it. If you like this series, make sure to let me know. Uh, in the show description, we have the artsy fartsy TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and the like. I'll be making some some more videos soon when we do some live recordings. Um, yeah, so I guess next week we'll get into Can on Me and where will we go from here, and hopefully a few more uh, from that. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really appreciate it, and I will be back next week. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.